1: Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Mark Fotheringham to my Neil Warnock. Hey, it's Justin Peach.
0: Good day to you, Ryan.
1: Justin, how the bloody hell are you?
0: I'm good. I'm tired. I yeah, had a lack of sleep last night. Not ideal. I'm in the countryside, so I was woken up by all sorts. But I'm here, soldering on, doing the podcast. It's all good.
1: Is, are you doing this on purpose now by just mentioning you're tired in every single podcast? Because I've noticed I don't think you've done a podcast in a long time now where you haven't said about how tired you are
0: i think the thing is the last week it's been disrupted and obviously in a few weeks time we're both away um, in mexico so i'm going to be saying i'm tired for the next probably month so i'll lead on that justin you've been saying episode. it for the
1: past four years yeah
0: a good point maybe i just don't get enough sleep i don't i don't i'm not kind enough to myself this is the problem if anyone's got any tips on how to snooze better um i'm all
1: ears Please don't share them with him because you, <laughs> you've you got better things to be doing with your life. Um, I'll ask this question again. you ask going to ask me about how I'm doing or?
0: Why should I, Ryan? You're off on a holiday. You're rubbing um, everyone, in everyone's faces. I don't see why I should ask you how you are.
1: I'm in New Zealand. I literally did a skydive
0: yesterday. Good for, you. Good for you. Congratulations. You survived. Much to the detriment of many of our listeners. Sorry, that was really harsh.
1: (laughs) I can accept you not asking me how I am, but wishing death upon me is, is a new one. On that note, welcome to the number one championship podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. This is a podcast where we like to wish death upon each other Mm. and talk about the latest stuff in the championship. We'll go through all the latest news and matches in the weekend, uh, in the weekend's games, some big results, some big, big results. Uh, It just seems to be getting better and better as far as the championship is concerned. It seemed like a lot too long ago. Everything was pretty wrapped up in some parts of the championship, but now wide open in every single aspect so we'll talk about that talk about some of the news as I say from the past few days then finish off with Simon Grayson's hateful eight right at the end so we'll begin things with Sheffield United who have lost back-to-back games after being beaten 3-2 by Millwall. Millwall. Millwall were leading up until the 82nd minute when Sheffield United pulled one back only for the Lions to score again in the 88th minute. Got to be said though Millwall fully deserved the win. They were much the better side in the first half. They could've scored three in the first six minutes alone. Mm-hmm. Sheffield United improved after half time, but you'd be lying if you watched this game and thought Millwall weren't much the better side. They were superb. Um and it's
0: I wouldn't say it was a surprise because they've got good attacking players, and that change in philosophy by Gary Rao is, is really, really helpful. And it's, well, not helpful, but it's certainly going to get more out of the, the players. And the thing that's been missing is a goal scorer. Tom Bradshaw's in that purple patch that he has once or twice a season, where he's, you know, in the mood to score goals essentially and I think that's really, really helpful, but the approach player has never changed with Millwall. They are very good at team at home. They are very good at creating chances. They're very good at knocking on the door um, and they did that. And they they made a very good, very solid Sheffield United team look like a team who um, don't have one of the best defensive records in the league. Um, And that's as much of a compliment as you can give Millwall um, in this game. They were the better side creatively um, and more clinical as well, which again, against Sheffield United is, is a big, big ask. They they did what they needed to do and they rattled them. Um, they did what Sheffield United did do to, due do to opposition. Um, they they pressed, they're aggressive and they're very hard to play against.
1: Yeah, we'll talk Millwall more in a second because they were fantastic, but it's another game where you look at this and think, what has happened to Sheffield United? <laughs> Their performances have dropped off. There's no denying that. They have been much poorer over the past couple of months than they were earlier in the season. Why is that? I don't know. For a long time, it looked as if, even if there was going to be a turn in results, that they'd still be all right. But now, that doesn't seem to be the case. The tables have turned massively in the space of a week. Just a four-point gap now between Sheffield United and Middlesbrough. They were 14 points clear of third place at one point. But now it's all changed. I think it's changed so much that, honestly... I'd make Middlesbrough the favourites to go up at this point. Now, people may think I'm getting ahead of myself here by saying that, but Borough are playing much better than Sheffield United right now. Sheffield United's upcoming games as well are brutal. Absolutely brutal. In the next seven games, they've got Watford, Blackburn, Reading, Luton, Sunderland, West Brom, and Norwich. Borough could be quite a few points ahead by the end of that run of games. And, you know, there's big parallels between Bournemouth and Forest from last season, isn't there? The difference is Forest caught up with just a couple of games remaining and left it a little bit too late. That's not the case here. Despite all this, Justin, you don't seem too convinced that Middlesbrough will catch Sheffield United. Is that the case? I think I
0: think so. I'm, it's more or less that Sheffield United had the game in hand, which is helpful. Uh, that could, you know, if they win that, they can go seven points clear. Um, and as well as that, 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 that cushion gap is is, is helpful. Now, I'm, I'm not convinced that Borough will catch them up, but I am concerned that um, the Sheffield United are digging themselves into a hole. Because if you compare them to this time last year, they had a similar drop-off, although injuries didn't help the case last season. Um, but this season, I don't think they can use that excuse because they do have players available. They do have a good squad available. It's just for whatever reason, there's, there has been sloppiness creeping into the game. And whatever you say... Um, I saw a lot of confident Sheffield United supporters um, on the clip that we posted earlier on in the week. Um, But whatever you say, you you should have some concerns. I mean, even if you just look at the the amount of goals they've conceded in their last six games in all competitions, they've conceded six goals, which doesn't seem that many, but it's not good enough for a team like Sheffield United who have been in um, a controlling position for much of the season. They need to up the game, desperately need to up the game. Otherwise, they are going to drop off and Middlesbrough are going to seize that opportunity because they have momentum. Sheffield United don't.
1: Why do you think Middlesbrough won't catch them?
0: Again, I'm just looking at that, that that gap. It's it's made down to the gap in the standards that Sheffield United set themselves throughout the season. Um, and I agree with a lot of Sheffield United supporters assessing the current state of play with, with the Blade so far in that they haven't got out of second or third gear. Um, now, I have the faith that they can increase their ability to, or, or, or possibility of getting to fourth and fifth gear, because um, I don't think we've seen the best of Chevy and I. I think that Burnley game was what... You know, that's how good Chevy I can be this season. I don't think we've seen games anywhere near that level this season, despite them sitting second, which is crazy. Um, so I think if they can hit that level in the next few games, or, or at least get to that level in the next few games, they'll get results. Um, and that's why I think that, that gap is going to play a massive part in, in in what happens. I just think maybe Middlesbrough left it a little bit too late to make that run. And Champions United still have got gears to go into.
1: Only four points. Not a big gap at all, especially considering how big it was this time last week. Uh, let's talk Millwall, because Tom Bradshaw got his second hat-trick of the <laughs> season. We take the mickey out of him because when he scores, it's a bit all or nothing with him, isn't it? He'll score two or three and then do nothing for eight <laughs> or nine games. He's now on 10 goals for the season, but he's only scored five in five games. He's only scored in five games (laughs) this season. So it is quite true that he is a bit of a, you know, feast or famine kind of striker. But Millwall in the top six again with this result. You've been backing them to get a playoff place all season, Justin. How strong do you think their chances are compared to other sides right now?
0: Uh, Again, I think this result and performance probably showed me that they they can do it. Because again, they come up against one of the, what the second best team in the league. Um, form not necessarily the uh, just showing that, um, but they, you know, Sheffield United, are one of the best teams in the league. Um, they have a very good style of play, and, and Millwall made them look very ordinary. Um, and it's just it just comes down to that. If Millwall can re- repeat these performances, or at least get to these levels in games, they will they will win. But this is a home game. Millwall very, have a very good home record. They need to repeat these performances away from home, or at least get to or at least have a, uh, a, not a philosophy, but a, a tactical ideology that gets some results. Because Gary Ratt likes to chop and change. That might not be massively helpful to the players. But again, this is a, a benchmark performance that they need to repeat. And if they can do, um, then I've, I've got I've every, confidence getting to get every confidence of them getting into the top six.
1: Middlesbrough have now won five games on the bounce after beating QPR 3-1. It was a pretty quiet first half before Borough really turned it on in the second and they're not showing any signs of their form slowing down are they
0: no 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 definitely not i think how quiet that first half was was actually a marker of how good borough have become because i think if you can be quite ordinary um in a game and then just switch it on um at the blink of an eye and just take control of the game and and batter down opposition it shows how far you've come as a, as a group to what you were earlier in the season and how good you are and how much of a contender you are for, for the top two. They were brilliant in the second half and I think we saw the, the very best of what they, they can do to teams um, in that second half. Crosses going into the box, nice little um, patterns of play passing into the, uh, into the box as well. It was just a really, really good second half performance. And again, not too disappointed that the first half was relatively flat. I think you'd expect that after a busy week, but yeah, just second half was just ridiculously good.
1: Got to be said, QPR's defending was abysmal in that second half. Middlesbrough kept playing just one ball forwards and they were three on goal. It kept happening again and again. It was absolutely incredible how it just kept happening. The only blot on this game from a Middlesbrough point of view was Elias Chair's free kick, which was brilliant. She's about 40 yards out, but catches Zach Stefan out at his near post when he was expecting a cross. Aside from that, a very impressive second half from Middlesbrough. True Palm getting two goals once again 19 goals for the season now. He's five goals clear as top goal scorer in the Championship. I would have liked to have seen what odds you would have got on him (laughs) to be top goal scorer this season. And speaking of odds, this possibly isn't the time to be thinking about this, but I was quite interested to see that Michael Carrick was 20 to 1 to be the next England manager. (laughs) The way his managerial career has started off, you've got to say, it will not be outside the realms of possibility, would it? At 40 points, picked up from a possible 51 in the time he's been in charge, which is just, sensational they've gone from 21st when he took over to looking like they could very well go up automatically the turnaround is absolutely phenomenal and he it's got to be one of the best jobs I've seen in such a short space of time at this level I can't recall too many others Steve Cooper last season's an obvious parallel but I mean Cowick's done it in an even shorter time has he yeah. and uh, managed to produce even better results I think he's got a big managerial career ahead of him and I wouldn't be surprised to see him become England manager at some point along the way, just because of you know, his pedigree as a player and as a coach anyway. But what he's doing now is pro- proving that this proof is in the pudding as well.
0: Yes and no. I, I'm not one of those who gets too carried away at this point. Dean Smith had a similar um, start to life at Aston Villa and, his career seems to have gone relatively flat. There's a bit of a difference between Carrick and Dean Smith. yeah. Diggs, yeah, yeah. Just... I know, I know, I know. I'm just being facetious, you know me. I like to I like to play devil's advocate all the time with you. Um, I do think he's got very good credentials and he's done a very good job at Middlesbrough so far, but we've not seen the bad times yet. Um, and obviously, for example, if Middlesbrough either get promoted um, and struggle in the Premier League or don't thrive as well as they have done, we'll, we'll see a lot more of him uh, as a coach or if Middlesbrough miss out on promotion. How they bounce back into the playoffs? We'll see. We'll see how he how he, um conjures up there. So I'm not getting too carried away. Um, it's, it's easy to when the, when the times are very good. It's it's when the form drops off, and he needs to pick the players up. That's when that's when um, you, you start to see how good of a uh, coach uh, he could be.
1: QPR's horrendous form continues. One win in 17 league games. Oh, Neil. Um, Look, I I rate Neil Critchley. I rate Neil Critchley massively as a manager. I thought he was a very clever appointment, but it's clearly not working. Defensively, they're in absolute shambles. They offer very little threat going forwards, which just isn't acceptable considering some of the players they've got there. And not too long ago, I was of the opinion that if they kept Critchley, he would end up being a good appointment. And Now I'm at the stage where that point, that opinion has quite quickly changed. I don't really know what's happening at QPR. Is this atrocious form a Neil Christie problem? I don't think so. If QPR did decide to sack him, I think he would end up being, I think he would end up going somewhere and doing a good job, wherever that may be. But something has got to change at Loftus Road. They're showing relegation form right now. And it's an eight point gap they've got above the bottom three right now. But that could very easily disappear in a matter of weeks. Mm-hmm. Got to be said as well, some very good managers available right now, Chris Wilder, Nathan Jones. I think if I was a, in charge of a championship club right now, I'd be looking at either of those two and maybe even some others where I just can't think of off the top of my head and thinking they'd be a good fit for my club. And with QPR in their current predicament, something's got to change, it?
0: Yeah. QPR is a very attractive job. Um, so if, if yeah, the worst did happen and Critcher was sacked or resigned or whatever, um, then there would be a lot of good managers available for for QPR to go after. Um, and on paper, the crucial appointment just worked. I don't think there'll be many of that argue with, that would argue against that. It just made sense. He's a very good coach. Good coach. He's got good experience. Good pedigree as a coach. Very highly qualified as well. But for whatever reason, it's just not clicked. Um, this happens. Um, but unfortunately, QPR going to get into a position where they need to make a decision on his future because the worst that could happen to them is is going from at one point. This season, being top of the league to being dragged into a relegation battle, and I'm not saying that could be a, a possibility for QPR, but with the likes of Cardiff, Huddersfield, um, Wigan, or changing managers and picking up points this weekend, it does raise the question of, of whether or not if that is if, if this form does continue and the standards are still continuously low, they could be dragged into a relegation battle, and that would be an absolute disaster. Don't think it will happen. I think there's too much quality in that team, but I don't think you can rule it out. I don't think I don't think quality. Um,
1: should automatically rule you out of a relegation battle, uh, relegation battle. Might talk about that a bit later on, Justin. I was just thinking then, has the team ever been top of the championship and got relegated? I think a few seasons ago, I think Charlton started off the season as top of the division after maybe a couple of games, but obviously got relegated. I'm, I can't recall a time when a team has ever been top of the championship was... in October and got relegated.
0: There was Blackpool in 2013, 2014 under Paul but I don't think they went down that season. They were mm. at least in the top six and then crashed and burned hard. Um, but I can't remember if they went down or not. Definitely worth a, a look though.
1: Yeah. The the biggest example I can think of in recent times is Hull, when they were on the edge of the top six, and then mm. did they finish at bottom in the end? Yeah. They, they were yeah. T- on the edge of the top six come Christmas time and then They had the worst second half of the season, I can recall, in recent memory at championship level. QPR rivaling that at the Mm. moment, aren't they? Because they've really fallen off a cliff. Neil Warlock won his first game back in charge of Huddersfield. They were two on victors against Birmingham. R. Neil says he had tears in his eyes after the reception he got from the Huddersfield fans. They were giving out face masks of him, which was a bit terrifying, admittedly. He was understandably thrilled, though, to get off to a winning start, Justin.
0: It was a very good Neil Warnock performance, wasn't it? Where you're up against it in some um, in some aspects of the game, where Birmingham were very good going forward. I thought they just lacked a clinical edge, um, but Neil Warnock again for his team to come from a goal down as well. It's just very Neil Warnock esque. It's a team that is down at the bottom of the the pits, so to speak, um, and they needed pulling out, and Neil Warnock's there with a godlike hand and glow just Mm -hmm. saying are you with me son? something like that anyway (laughs) um and 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 he's and he's yeah he's pulled them out from the depths and i think that's a a big big plus because uh, i look at the performances of the, the individuals in this game and um it's a massive massive turnaround i can't speak hard enough of, of the turnaround in, in performances and Kamara was back to his old best set, I say old best the form that he showed earlier on this season Jaheim H- uh, Headley as well was, was fantastic at left wing back in his second start um, and obviously he scored the winner as well. beautiful goal by him uh, and David Kasumi was, was brilliant at right wing back this is only something that Neil Warnock could do to a team there aren't many managers that can do it and I guess that's why you employ someone like him
1: My favourite bit of this game was there being 12 minutes of added time at the end and you had Warnock and his assistant, (laughs) Ronnie Jepsen, giving the fourth official the grilling of his (laughs) life about where that came from. You can just imagine how the fourth official felt when the ref told him to give 12 minutes added on and he... He was thinking, oh, I'm going to have to explain this one answer. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that was quite funny. Both of Huddersfield's goals were brilliant. Both moves started with the goalkeeper, and both were great strikes by Hungbo and Headley, respectively. Warlock also said he loved it when Etienne Kamara had blood on his face and said that was a sign of a commitment from his players. So you can expect to see more of that in the future. I'm just kind of expecting like a WWE kind of thing where they've got blood pouring down their face now, kind of a crimson mask. Black and white camera. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> get that out. And um, got to be said, I don't think Huddersfield were great here. Birmingham should have got at least a point and they were quite lucky to hold on. So I won't be, in, won't be ringing the bills on another Neil Warnock salvaging job just yet. There's a lot of games to go and they won't be staying up like that each week against better opposition. I can tell you that for sure. But just seeing it in this game, Warnock's return is given field a big boost of positivity, which yeah. can be crucial in, in this kind of situation. The atmosphere has been very sour over the past few weeks and fans have gone from holding banners, which say clowns running the club to holding masks of Neil Warnock's face. Mm. So that's a good start. If the atmosphere is direct club, that can often relegate a team on its own. So I think this is a very positive start in that respect.
0: I completely agree. Um, and I think as well as that, the Neil Warnock uh, appointment... Neil Warnock delivers the immeasurables in football. It, the mentality you can't, you can't, you can't measure mentality. You can't measure character. You can't measure um, the, the size of your balls in games where you're just being brave. Um, he just delivers that. He, it doesn't matter how many chances opposition creates. Warnock has this ability to do, to instill belief into a football club. Um, and if you look at his Crystal Palace spell, for example. Staying up after having points deducted for administration is Rotherham's spell. Staying up after being bottom of the league and having to sign basically a new squad of free agents after the transfer window and staying, you know, staying up. He instills this belief that maths and data just can't track. And I think that's a big plus. And as you, as you say, um, that just the turnaround in club atmosphere is just ridiculous. Volatile to jubilant and celebrating a celebrity-like figure. It's, it's chalk and cheese
1: that not too long ago, we were in agreement that it would be three of the current bottom five getting relegated this season. Well, quite a lot's changed since then, and it's meant three of that bottom five won this weekend. They don't look as bad now as they did a month or two ago, and that's bad news for the clubs above them, like Birmingham City. Mm-hmm. Seven losses out of their last nine. They need to be bloody careful, don't they, teams like Birmingham
0: Treading around Lego, aren't they? It's it's difficult. Um, it's it's a hard one to assess this from Birmingham because I thought they played relatively well, to be honest with you. I thought they created a good amount of chances. They were just so frustratingly wasteful in goal, in front of goal. Um, I think yeah, even Dean's goal, he came off his shins. He wasn't too aware of it. It's just, it wasn't an accidental box he meant it, but certainly his execution wasn't great. And I probably gave you an indication of how poor Birmingham were in front of goal or well, game. You've got Scott Hogan in, in this one, for example. He was poor largely ineffective. Um, I think if he's playing against a deep line, he may as well be on the bench and non-existent, essentially. Um, not to be too critical of him. But yeah, I think it was just wastefulness that prevented them from winning this. And obviously the Neil Warnock factor, those immeasurables I was talking about, it was a horrible game to go into, needing a result. Um, but as I say, I, I was largely buoyed by this performance. If they can repeat it in the next few games, they'll get results. They will get. They will pick up points more often than not. That's the... Yeah, again, that, that midfield, I thought the midfield was was was, was very effective. Um, but the blow here could be that Bielek could be out for for a while with injury because he was stretched it off.
1: Yeah, that looked like a nasty looking injury and that will be a big blow for Birmingham. But it's common knowledge that, unfortunately, Christian Bielek is never too far away from an injury. Yeah. He's that kind of player, unfortunately. At the risk of repeating myself, it's so incredibly infuriating when we know this Birmingham team was excellent in the first half of the season, completely... Confounded all expectations of themselves and were also amazing against West Brom just over a week ago. Mm -hmm. But since then, they've lost to Cardiff and Huddersfield. And that just speaks a lot about where this Birmingham team is at right now. It's a worrying time for Blues fans, particularly with the uncertainty off the pitch. And at this moment, I don't know where this team's going to finish because they may very well recover and play like they were earlier in the season. But right now, that looks like a distant memory, that kind of form that we saw under John Eustace. On Friday night an injury time winner from Romain Sawyers made it back-to-back wins for Cardiff. They beat Reading 1-0. Cardiff hit hit the woodwork twice in the second half. It looked as if it wasn't going to be their day. Then a great strike by Sawyers led to some magnificent scenes for the Cardiff fans.
0: Yeah, another late goal. I don't think Cardiff fans can take it, or or they can, because they've not <laughs> seen many goals, so they'll take any goal at any point, I imagine. But yeah, massive three points. I thought Cardiff were good value for the win, as you say. They dominated possession and were comfortable, controlled. They just, again, like a lot of teams down there, lacked that clinical edge. They were, they were very, very good. Um, I thought Sawyers was fantastic for the second game running. Um, he completed the most passes in the game, created three chances, uh, had 10 ball recoveries as well, so turning over possession he's got back to his best and I think Cardiff needed him to be back to his best because if he's on top four, he's very, very good. Yeah, he he was a very good signing in the summer and he's just not hit the levels we expected him to but last couple of games, he's been brilliant and Cardiff have picked up results.
1: Yeah, Romain Sawyer's had his best game in a Cardiff shirt for me. Um, As you say, Cardiff fans haven't really seen what he's all about yet but recently, he has really picked up, especially under, I think, Labushi's just given him the ball, then he's just ran with really anti. I thought Callum Robinson was great. They defended brilliantly as well, particularly Mark McGuinness, who has shown since coming back mm-hmm. that it was a pretty barmy decision, to send him out on loan to Sheffield mm-hmm. Wednesday earlier in the season, because he's been a man mountain at the back. I have been saying recently that there have been signs of improvement in Cardiff under Sabu Lamushi. And lo and behold, they've got back-to-back league wins for the second time this season. I think it was always going to take a while for him to figure out how to get results. With this team, defensively, they're fine. The major problems have been going forwards and you only have to look at the underlying data to see that in terms of XG, they've been much better in that regard. Bringing back Sawyers into the team has helped with that. New signing, sorry, Cabba, has looked lively as well. It is just two wins. There's a long way to go for Cardiff, but I'm feeling so much more hopeful about Cardiff now than I was just a couple of weeks ago, I've got to say. After the game, Paul Lynch said, we never showed up. It was poor from the first minute. The things that go through people's heads, it baffles me. Uh, He was not a happy bunny uh, after this one. It's just one win in eight for the Royals. Uh, Today, Justin, this Sunday, actually marks a year since Paul Lynch was appointed Reading Manager. How would you sum up the job he's done in the last 12 months?
0: I think he's done a very good job. I'll be honest with you. I think he's done a very, very good job. Um, that team last season was on a one-way crash course into League One. The amount of goals they were conceding was frightening. The loss to Kidderminster in the FA Cup. Don't think the club could have been any lower. Obviously had this impending um, transfer embargo. They had the point deduction last season as well. It was just chaos. Whereas a bit like Neil Warnock, wherever he goes, not comparing Neil Warnock and Paulins, but Paul just to um, give an example of what he's done to the club, I think he's unified it. I think he's got that seed mentality in place and I think that's been really helpful because they they lack quality throughout the team. Um, so they've needed to be a hardworking industrious side. They have been for large portions of this season. It's worked for them. I think that's probably why there's been a dip in form this season because it's been worked out. Um, but I would say he's done a very good job. I would mark him at a B-plus if I was grading him because I don't think you can quite undersell how bad Reading were. They were going to be relegated last season if they didn't make that change. Paulins was a surprising appointment and he's shown us that he's still got it in some uh, aspects, certainly, but they need to improve this season otherwise they're going to drop off again.
1: I would completely agree with that, Justin. When he was appointed... I think, understandably, us and plenty of Reading fans were like, what the hell is going on here? Why have they done this? The period where we took over last season wasn't great. This season, he's worked wonders. And we infamously ranked him as the worst manager in the championship. He's gone a long way to proving us wrong, hasn't he? Because I think many people condemn Reading to relegation this season. And look at them now. I I don't think they'll be in danger of going down this season despite their poor form and how far away they are from the relegation battle he's done a cracking job with not much and the resources exactly. aren't really there at Reading, right. and I think he deserves a lot of praise for that let's take a quick break just in, after that we'll talk about more of the teams involved in the relegation battle uh, and also talk about another win for Commentary City Welcome back to the second tier podcast. Mick McCarthy got his first win as Blackpool boss. They won 1-0 at home to Stoke. The goal came from a deflected strike by Ian Pervader, who I completely forgot was at Blackpool, but (laughs) he's a good player. We saw that at Leeds a few seasons ago now, didn't we? But let's see a bit more of him in a Blackpool ship. I suppose he's got plenty of competition in the position he plays in. Blackpool were helped by Chris Maxwell having a brilliant game in goal. He stopped two golden chances for Stoke and essentially saved them three points in this one. Mick McCarthy won't care how they get the three points, though. He had gone 13 league games without a win as a manager after that dreadful spell which saw him sacked at Cardiff. So he will be bloody delighted with this, won't he, Justin? Same with Blackpool
0: supporters, because they've not been in the best run of form either. Um, but yeah, it was a massive, massive win, massive three points. I think if you look at the last few games, they've, they have created chances. They have been in games largely um, and they haven't got the rewards whereas Stoke uh, absolutely battered them uh, in terms of chance creation and they stood up to it and, and took the clean sheet and the 1-0 win. It's just one of those where you take the three points and run away as fast as you can. Um, but there are a lot of a lot of factors in this game that impressed me. I thought Connolly and Nelson were apt Trojans at the back, husband and lions at full uh, a fullback in, in the full-back fullback slots were brilliant as well. Yates led the line fantastically well. Um there's a lot of good um aspects of the game. It wasn't a, a, a good great performance by all means, but it was a lot there was a lot of good aspects that, that can be built upon. And it's a solid building block for Mick McCarthy. It's three points in a clean sheet, and it's just not many times you've been able to say that for Blackpool this season. Um but I think the 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 defensive play um, was the most impressive aspect of, of this game. Um, certainly can improve going forward. But yeah, the individual performances give me a lot of hope for them.
1: This is classic Stoke this season, isn't it? A comfortable win against Huddersfield, followed up with a loss. They are just incapable of putting together more than one good result, aren't they, Justin? It's something we've been saying all season, but it doesn't seem to have changed. I
0: think that's the concern with Stoke, is that... The inability to build any momentum and consistencies is um, is shafting them massively. Uh, and I think it's if you look at them throughout the season, they're a team that's been sleepwalking for the majority of the campaign. Um, and that's why they, they could still be involved in a relegation scrap. Uh, I think the teams winning below them will make them look nervously over their shoulder or, or continuously look nervously over their shoulder. Um, and it's not something that's going to go away unless they can build a run of results. Uh, and obviously if they can't do that then it's going to happen there was frustratingly wasteful in front of goal I know Chris Maxwell had a good game but there was a chance for example Dwight Gale was 7 or 8 yards out should have side it in side footed it over the bar Um, their approach play was good they were just wasteful Um, but unfortunately that wastefulness has cost them a lot of points this season and it's going to cost them a lot more if they don't improve it and unfortunately could even cost Alex Neely's job because I've seen a lot of uh, unhappy Stoke fans on, on social media lately.
1: There's this handful of teams, isn't there? Stoke, Birmingham, QPR, who I think they're too good to go down. But they seem to be getting sucked into the relegation battle more and more. Because think about it this way. Surely a team with a life chair and Chris Willock couldn't possibly go down. Surely a team with a midfield as good as Birmingham's can't go down. Stoke have Tyrese Campbell, Dwight Gale, Ben Wilmot, Ben Pearson, amongst many others. Surely they cannot go down. Yet all of them have got massive problems. QPR are the most out-of-form team in the league. Stoke can't string together more than one good result. Birmingham have dropped off massively compared to earlier in the season. Whereas the bottom five, four of them have new managers. And all of a sudden, there's no team who you can bank on. Getting relegated at this point. So the three teams I mentioned there need to seriously watch their backs. I'd say the likelihood is they'd all be fine, but I won't put money on it because I'd be very worried if I was a fan of any of those three teams, I've got to say. Sean Maloney's unbeaten start as Wigan Boss continues their game with Norwich ended goalless. It Might say a lot about this game if I would say the surprising man of the match without a doubt was Angus Gunn in the Norwich goal. He made three or four massive saves from chances, which all came from Norwich, passing it around at the back in the opening minutes of the game. It just kept happening and they kept giving away some big chances, which was just it's at that point where as a as a fan, you'd just be saying, get rid. And it just wasn't happening uh, on a, on multiple occasions in that those opening few minutes. Another thing that's quite alarming from an Arch perspective, Justin, one shot on target in this whole game against the team bottom of the table. That's very poor.
0: Second time in three games, isn't it? As well, it's, it's it's not good enough if you're a team wanting to get into the playoffs. Um, and if you just yeah if you. Don't look at Wigan's recent um, recent history obviously of Sherman sure, appointing a new manager and getting picking up results. Um if you're a team wanting to win promotion, you have to go into every game with a little bit of an ego. You have to go into every game thinking you're going to win. Um and unfortunately that mentality just appears to be nowhere near this Norwich squad. Um as you say, one shot on target is incredibly poor um against the team bottom of the league. I know Wigan have improved, defensively they've improved massively, but I expect, as I say, a team gunning for promotion, to be able to break opposition down, whoever they come up against. And unfortunately, they just they haven't showed it. Um, you look at that whole game, for example. That whole game gave me a lot of hope. It was an emphatic win at home. They were relentless in their chance creation. they, they felt like they were back to their best. Um, and then this game just reminds me that actually, you know, this Norwich team is incredibly average. They need to address things in the summer. They will not finish in the playoffs. I can guarantee it now. Well, actually, no. That's a terrible thing to say. I might not guarantee it now, but I'm very confident they will not finish in the top six because of these performances. There's too many of these performances, and not enough—not enough of enough the whole performances. It's just not good enough. And David bagner has got a big job on his hands because, for me, I think this points towards Stuart Weber.
1: Well, I said a couple of weeks ago that I wouldn't want to get promoted if I was a Norwich fan, just because they would be so unprepared for the Premier League if they got there. And I'm starting to think that's not anything they need to worry about because I'm becoming increasingly convinced Norwich will not be finishing in the playoffs. They're turning into another one of these very inconsistent sides in the championship. Although we're beginning to see more poor performances than good ones. They seem to be playing like individuals a bit right now. And that's particularly evident going forwards because there's particularly a disconnect between the forward players, which is why I think they failed to score three of their last four in three of the last four games if I was Stuart Webber I'd resign first of all um, but if I wasn't going to do that then I think if I was in charge of Norwich then I'd be starting to plan for next season as I keep saying the club needs a soft reset the prior the priority of which for me should be focusing on the young players Abomadeli, Aaron's, um, McCallum, Liam Gibbs someone I've been very impressed with recently build around these young players, start looking ahead to the future and build something new. Because Norwich have got a very good academy, so I'd use that as a basis to rebuild from the ground up. Do that instead of wasting millions on players from abroad who aren't very good. Because Norwich's record in that market in recent Mm -hmm. times has been very, very poor. Incredibly poor, in fact. And some of the guys who have been very good in the past, in my opinion, need moving on. That's why I think there needs to be a soft reset at Carrow Road. Four games without a loss under Sean Maloney for Wigan. Justin, only the one win in there, but another good result for them.
0: Really solid foundations. And I know that, again, teams have put them one and it's not ideal. Um, But I think the trajectory that Wigan are on gives me more confidence for them than it does those other sides. Um, The clean sheets, uh, it's such a contrast, isn't it? It's, It's absolutely crazy to think how open and leaky they were under Kolo Torre. Um, and then Maloney's come in and he's sh- he shored things up. Yes, they need to be more clinical in front of goal. That probably lends to more of a lack of quality at this level than perhaps it does their approach play because they should have won this game. No doubt about that. But yeah, I, I, I'm certainly more confident about Wigan's ability to stay in a championship than I am some other sides down there, mainly because Maloney's... Address the things that needed to be addressed back in November. He's got them organised, he's, he's tightening them up, they're not conceding goals, now it's about putting the ball in the back of the net. That's a very difficult thing to do. If they can start doing that, they'll start picking up results easily. Um, that's the next step. That's It's a big step though, and we're going to have to do that all season. Um, but they've certainly got enough quality in that final third to <laughs> claw their way out of the bottom three. It's just whether or not they can do it or not.
1: Yeah, I completely agree, Justin, about going forwards. That is a huge problem, how little they've created under Sean Maloney so far. But addressing the main problem, which was how leaky they were at the back, is a very big positive. Colo Torre, who was a defender, may I remind you, yeah. um, they were awful at the back under him. That is That's very different now under Maloney. But Wigan won't stay up unless they win games. And winning games looks... A bit of a way off at the moment, but got to be said, much more positive than it was not too long ago to Kono Torre. Rotherham were the only one of the bottom five to lose this weekend. Coventry made it back-to-back wins by beating them 2-0. Rotherham did have a disallowed goal early on for not a lot. I don't really know what it was actually know. disallowed for. Matt Taylor called it an injustice which is quite strong, but I can understand where he came from. Not a great result for the Millers, though. The relegation battle has really come to life all of a sudden, Justin, hasn't it? And as I was just saying, I don't think there's an obvious team who's going down at this point. But if you forced me to pick a team who are the most obvious to go down, I would possibly say Rotherham. Maybe I'm being a bit reactive to this round of results by saying that, but if you could give that particular like going down baton to someone right now justin who 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 would be holding it will it be rotherham Uh,
0: again if you look at the teams that have changed managers um they've got they will have a bit of a swing in the short term whether or not they can sustain it i don't know um i think Rothrum's squad is better than what it is putting out i've said this all season um I do think it they have a better squad than Huddersfield, for example. Um, Blackpool. I don't think we've seen enough of them under Mick McCarthy to be really confident just yet. Wigan can't score, full of no money or not full of no money. Um, they're just not very clinical. Um, so perhaps Rotherham, more, if you include recency bias, probably the most likely team to, to go down. Their, their form's one of the worst, certainly is. Um, but again, they recruited really well in January. January, I think, if the signing settle in quickly. Um, then they they will stay up. But if I'm going to throw the baton at someone, I'd I'd probably throw it at Wigan just because of that inability to score goals.
1: That's completely fair. I completely understand that. It's it's so hard right now, isn't it, giving that going down baton to a single team because I'd probably agree with you. I'd probably go between Wigan and Rotherham as one of those sides. But... You know, Rotherham have signed really well in January. Blackpool have also signed really well, got a new manager as well. Huddersfield have a new manager now. And of course, it's Nick McCarthy, Who it's Neil Warnock, who is, you know, championship expert, Neil Warnock. Um, it's very difficult. And maybe it is a case of one of the teams outside of that bottom five being dragged into it, and mm. we all know that how bad some of the form is of those teams who are just flirting with the relegation battle. to back wins for Coventry who have bounced back after a sticky run of form. Vichy Okra has got on the score sheet again. That's after going quite a few games without a goal now, but he's got back-to-back goals. Uh, one player I wanted to single out is Callum Doyle in the Coventry defence. 19 years old. Bristol City's Alex Scott is the only teenager to have played more minutes than him in the Championship this season, and you don't tend to see many teenage centre backs at this level. I suppose simply because their bodies have got to fully develop before <laughs> they're playing up against some big, burly, seasoned centre forwards. But he's taken everything in his stride this season. Played most games, for co- played most of Coventry's games this season, and only four teams have conceded fewer goals than them in that time but he's a really solid defender decent with the ball at his feet as well he looks like a really exciting young prospect Burnley won again they beat 10-man Luton 1-0 Ashley Barnes scored the penalty which turned out to be the winner in this one Tom Lockyer was given a yellow card for complaining about the penalty when it was given he was given a second yellow for complaining about it after it was scored I've never seen anything yeah. like that before and um, possibly a bit harsh and maybe a uh, Maybe Rob Edwards might have something to say about that. But there you go. It was a tight game, this one. Both teams gave as good as they got. But it's another win for Burnley, who I think we may possibly have run out of things to compliment them about at this point, Justin. They are just a winning machine, aren't they? Here's a question for you. If they were in the Premier League this season, where do you think they would have finished?
0: If they were, I mean, they're better than Southampton. I think uh, a lot of teams in the Championship are probably better than Southampton. Um. It's a difficult one to say. I think I don't think they play the same way they are now. Um, I think they would adapt a little bit. I always heart back to something that Daniel Farker said that um, attacking teams tend to struggle when they first go up. Um, I know Burnley are, are probably a little bit more balanced than being an attacking team, um, but the teams that are more solid defensively tend to thrive a lot better, um, and that's that rings true. With the likes of Sheffield United, for example, recently um, Nottingham Forest are improving a little bit as well. So Fulham. Oh, that's, that's, why they, that's where it starts to, to break up a little bit. Fulham have done brilliantly, um, to be honest with you. I think Burnley will probably go more the way Fulham are, because I don't think Fulham are that um, swashbuckling attacking side that we saw last season. I think they're a little bit more measured. That's probably the, the way um, Burnley will go. But they'll certainly... I don't think they finish in the bottom three. Um, I think it's quite difficult to know what that gap between the Premier League and the Championship is. Um, they've got a lot of inexperience in that team as well currently. Um, So that might work against them. They probably need a little bit more if they're going to thrive in the Premier League. So maybe sort of 16th, 17th, 15th, maybe. I'm a bit more sceptical of that jump between the Championship and the Premier League.
1: I can understand why you'd say that. I think we're not talking about how Burnley will do in the Premier League next season. They're obviously going to be in the Premier League next season at this point. I don't think anyone's doubting that. But... We can't really judge that until they've got a full summer's worth of transfers. But if you were to transfer them into the Premier League this season, for whatever reason, I think they'd be fine. Um, you look at how Forrest and Fulham have both done, obviously signed quite well last summer. Um, Forrest maybe went a bit overboard in terms of bodies, but you see what I mean. Um, but I think Burnley would be fine. I think they'd be looking towards that kind of area, to be honest, because there were some poor teams in the Premier League. And, um, how Vincent Company will do in the Premier League is going to be very interesting to see. But considering how he's done this season, he's done a fantastic job in adapting the style yeah. of play to suit the I players will... that are there. And I think he'll do exactly that as well.
0: I will add that my faith's in company rather than the squad. Um I think the squad would need to be improved if it's gonna survive in the Premier League. So I might I am backing company rather than the, the actual squad, which seems harsh considering they're top of the league, but that's down to Bernie's, uh company's philosophy rather than the ability of the squad, I think.
1: I think when they do sign players in the summer, considering how well they've recruited in the Championship this season, that's very promising about how their recruitment plans will be for next summer. But that's a conversation for another day, isn't it? A late winner from Daniel Ayala gave Blackburn a 1-0 win over Swansea. Not a thriller of a game by any means, Justin.
0: Yeah, and it was an important game for, for Rovers, but how often can you say, the Blackburn games have been thrillers this season. I think um, I think fans that he would probably be paying, uh, praying for a 3-3 at some point. Um, but it was a big win for them. Um, I think it for, for, from a Swansea perspective, it's, it's another poor defeat, late goal. Um, but I think if you look at Blackburn, um, not creatively, not at the best creatively, a little bit passive in the first half, in and out of possession, much better in the second, more aggressive, um, and they got the late, wall, uh, late goal, and I think that's can help with momentum. That's the second late goal in, in, in two games. So it could certainly help pushing them up the table. But again, just need to improve that ability to create chances consistently throughout a game.
1: Yeah. Well, nothing's changed in that regard all season <laughs> as it just it is Blackburn's first win in six have been drawing most of their games recently. So it's not like they've been losing in that respect. Three wins in 16 for Swansea. Their season really continues to dwindle away and, I know Russell Martin's been asking for certainty over his future. So despite rumours that he may be walking out on the club, it seems like he wants to have some sort of commitment to the long-term project at Swansea. A 92nd minute penalty saw Bristol City snatch a 1-0 draw away at Sunderland. Wait a minute, Bristol City, penalty... What's happening here? Yes, that's right. It's Bristol City's first penalty since November 2021, which is a, an astonishing amount of time to go without a penalty, isn't it? Um, I really enjoyed Luco9 stopping a counter-attack from uh, Bristol City by jumping on the players' back. Um, <laughs> I don't think he even got the think... card for it. which is, uh, oh, which I think is he did. Uh, did he get a coffee I'm, I'm, I'd like hope so. I did. Um, yeah, that, that was a, a brilliant bit of shithousery. But Luke O'Neill, he's got to be a new contender there? for the crown of shithousery in the championship, has he? Because he, he's got a few <laughs> things like that now. Uh, anything on this game, Justin? Um, I'd like to have seen the keeper take the penalty.
0: Um, or maybe Nigel Pearson. I don't know. If it's been that long since the last penalty, it seems a bit of um, an anticlimax for it to be taken by a striker who's good at penalties. I think it's something that should be, should be celebrated, to be honest with you. Um, I know this isn't any insight into the game or anything that Bristol City fans might take away from it, but if it's been that long, you just want someone special to take that penalty. So maybe should have brought a club legend back from retirement or something. I don't know. What do you think? I, I, I don't know if I'm out of on here.
1: I think you're rambling. Hall uh, nil, 0, Preston 0. haven't really got much to say on this game at all.
0: Preston lacklustre in front of goal again it's incredibly poor and I know a lot of Preston fans are finding it difficult to get behind Rhino, um which is a shame but I think that squad's, the squad's where it should be um, in the league rather than rather than Rhino not not be good enough in my opinion
1: Yeah I'd agree and the final game of the weekend is a big clash between Watford and West Brom on Monday night we'll talk about that game in Thursday's episode right now it's time for this Yes, it's time for the news, and we'll begin with the terrible news from Saturday morning. Former Newcastle winger Christian Atsu has died following the earthquake in Turkey. The 31-year-old had been playing for Hattier Sport over there. He had played just one season in the Championship, but that was probably the most successful season of his career. He was a regular in that Newcastle side from 2016-17, which dominated the Championship and is regarded as one of the Best ever at this level in terms of how dominant it was. So a brilliant player when you're looking through the championship lens and a terrible tragedy that's happened to him and so many others in Turkey, Justin.
0: Yes, it's it's awful news. And um, I think from a football perspective, it's not something you'd ever expect. Um, So it's quite hard to sort of prepare for it. But yeah, superb player um when he was when he was on it and I think back to that twenty fourteen World Cup for Ghana, he was absolutely incredible. Um so yeah it's, it's just incredibly sad and I think it just highlights just the desperate need for um yeah more aid out uh, in Turkey to, to get things to get things move, moving in terms of the res- rescue attempts because yeah it's it's just yeah a desperate situation.
1: QPR striker Lyndon Dykes has returned to training after being hospitalised at the end of January. The club haven't said why he was taken to hospital, not that it matters, but he was released a fortnight ago. Neil Crittity says he's doing low-level physical stuff and they'll be taking it step by step with him. So that's good news. The latest on Sheffield United take takeover. Now, a spokesman for Dozie Mabusi has told The Athletic that he believes he would be an excellent owner of the club. The takeover stalled because the EFL says it has queries that need answering by Mabusi, But his spokesman says he's confident that he has the skills and expertise to build and maintain a successful team on and off the pitch. It comes after multiple bizarre reports about him, including being the director of an airline which hasn't flown a plane and money that he owes over a house in St. Albans. Mabusi's team claims the airline was affected by the pandemic and house debt has been settled. Now, the latest thing that's been spotted about him is his company Tingo posted a video last year where Nigel Farage congratulated them on expansion across Africa. I say congratulated, it was a cameo. So Mm -hmm. Tingo have seemingly paid Nigel Farage to film himself doing this message. It's all very strange, Justin, and I'm not going to ask your thoughts on the case um, in case you say something which gets us sued, um, but very strange goings-on with this whole situation and... I watch with bated breath because we know Mm -hmm. that Sheffield United need a takeover to be done because otherwise they may be in a bit of trouble financially. And it's becoming increasingly unlikely, for the lack of a better term, that Mabuse is that man. But we shall see. In transfer news, The Sun is reporting Burnley will make Jordan Bayer's loan move, a permanent one, once promotion is sealed. The young German defender has been classed for the Clarets this season, so no surprise with that one. And Swansea have signed goalkeeper Andreas Sondergaard on a deal until the end of the season. The Danish Youth International was released by Wolves last month. And now it's time for this. Hi Simon, Grayson Edge. Yes, it's time for another solo hateful eight for Justin Peach this week. So I'm going to ask him to name eight of a certain subject. All he's got to do is name all eight. So, for example, if I would say, name Steve Bruce's last eight clubs, and he would say Villa, that's one down, and then Newcastle, that's another down. But if Justin would say Weymouth, then he'd be out. So all he needs to do is give me all eight answers. Justin, this week, Simon Grayson is feeling particularly hateful and is only giving you one life for this round. How are you feeling about that? Just, it's
0: just—it's a measure of the man, isn't it? Less, less—the less said, but the better. I think.
1: <laughs> Full disclosure: <laughs> Simon Grayson has absolutely no say about this quiz, <laughs> so I don't know where Justin's coming from with that. Um, this one's a bit of a memory test for you, actually. Uh, Cast your mind back to last season, Justin, and the second tier awards. We, of course, <laughs> we of course pick our team of the season each year, but can you name for me? The four defenders and four midfielders we had in last season's second tier (laughs) team of the season. Go ahead. I I
0: can't even remember who played in the championship last season. Um, Right, so the four defenders. Yeah, it's Jed Spence at right back, surely.
1: Correct. Jed Spence just come off the back of a phenomenal season with Nottingham Forest. He was at right back. You are correct.
0: Harry Toffolo, because Huddersfield fans didn't think he was that good,
1: even though that's wrong. That's an incredulous thing for them to claim. But yes, the former Huddersfield fullback was brilliant. Not getting as much love as he would, or probably should, at Forest right now. But yes, he was at left-back. So that's two down, six to go. Did we go 4-4-2? We did. So
0: I'd expect Ben Brereton-Diaz to be on the left of the midfield.
1: He wasn't. Oh, he was shit. not in there. Uh, I think we didn't include him because he had a pretty bang average second half yeah, of the season. But true. he was fantastic in that first half. So that means you've lost your extra life, Justin. You've that's got six early. to
0: go. It's very early. Um, I mean, Harry Wilson was
1: shortly in there. Harry Wilson was in there, but he was playing left wing. Okay. So despite playing right wing for most of the season, we felt we had to include him and another player.
0: Yeah, the complete logical steps we take has made this even harder.
1: Yep. You've got five yeah. to go, by the way.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I can't remember the centre backs, to be honest with you. Uh, I, I can't. It wouldn't have been. I can't. It wouldn't have been a forest centre back. Um, Huddersfield, does Matt Pearson, Levi Colwell. I don't think Levi Colwell. I wouldn't have allowed Levi Colwell to be in that because of the amount of games he played. Um hmm.
1: Carl Naismith. Maybe. Cal Naismith was there. The now Bristol City defender was one of the stars of Luton's success last season. So you're halfway there, Justin. Have you thought about the midfield? Maybe that's a better way to go down.
0: I did yeah, I just can't remember. Um I actually can't remember. It's a full and finished top. Bournemouth. was it? Was there a Philip Billing in there? Uh, he played plays centre mid for Bournemouth. Oh man, this is difficult. This is so difficult.
1: Did we have um, a single... Uh, this may be a massive clue, but I don't think we had a single Bournemouth player in there.
0: I think we had Solanke in. Yeah, you're
1: right. You're right. Um, it's not a Bournemouth player, then. You've got that clue.
0: Yeah, we'll take that. Oh, jeez. I actually no idea. Um, centre mid. Couldn't have been Kearney. He played centre mid for Fulham last season? Do you know how hard this is? This is difficult. Mm. Um.
1: Lewis O'Brien, there we go, Lewis O'Brien. Yeah, of course, Lewis O'Brien. What a difference a year makes for him, eh? One, is one of the first names down in our team of the season, last team the season, mm-hmm. but now in limbo at Forest, although I've seen him being linked with a move to the MLS. So that means you've got three to go, Justin.
0: I've still got one of the centre-backs, the right-winger and the other centre-mid to go. Yeah. Um... So, one of the other centre backs, and maybe I'll just stick with the midfield. So, in terms of going forward, um, no, not a, not a Scooby. I have up. no idea. I'm, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to just say the wrong answer. Um, so, for right wing, I'm going to go with um, Chris Wellig.
1: Chris Willock was in there, but he was centre-mid. Oh, that's weird. Uh, had an incredible <laughs> season for QPR. Uh, not enjoying the same form last season, but Chris Willock was in there. He was centre-mid. Um, I mean, you've got two remaining, Justin.
0: Can't believe I'm still in this, to be honest with you. You um, reckon I? This is mad You're really
1: dragging it out as well.
0: Yeah, I am. This is a long, a long part. Uh, I'm just going to say, Victor, you Chris. Why not? This is, this is, yeah, I can't think of anybody else, to be honest with you.
1: Um yeah, wasn't Victor Yokarez. So no. that means you've fallen foul to Simon Grayson's hateful eight once again, Justin. The players you were looking for, you were thinking about the wrong uh, you are thinking along the right lines with Fulham, centre back, Tosin Adarabayo. Uh, yeah,
0: I was gonna I was gonna mention it, but <laughs> I don't know, I just didn't really think he had a remarkable season thinking about. It.
1: He was, well, he was a rock for Fulham last season, yeah, he was. enjoying life in the Premier League now as well. So uh, that's who the centre-back was. The right winger, someone you absolutely love, Andy Vyman. That's an easy one to forget.
0: Because of our, <laughs> I don't know why. Poor Andy Vyman, he was
1: so good last season. So yeah. good. I tell you what, it is easy to forget, to be fair, because he, he was so amazing last season, but this season he's just gone back to the Andy Vyman of old, really, hasn't he? So yeah. I think we could uh, forgive you for not getting that one, Justin. But there you go. That's been Simon Grayson's since Hateful Eight. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Thursday, ladies and gentlemen. We've got a few championship games coming up in, week, in midweek. So we'll talk about all of them on Thursday and talk about some of the news coming up over the next few days as well. So in that case, we look forward to seeing you then. This has been the Second Tip Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And a big thank you for listening.
0: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's.